I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, fam. So who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzola here with Sam Monson live on YouTube. What's up, Steve? On a Monday morning. Hi. How's, How's it going? going? Yeah. It's going all right. Not feeling great, but, you know, struggling through. Hey, power through here. Mm-hmm. This is important. It's, uh, it's May 9th. We've got to get through this thing. It's the most important time of the year. It is. It's the, uh, it's the off-season, off-season, officially here. Off-season. We thought it was the off-season, but it was really free agent li- season and draft it's, season. It's list season. It's list season. Mm-hmm. Top Which is going to make some people very unhappy. Top 32, one guy. One guy said he doesn't like a list. There's probably more of them. I mean, Top look, two four. random people emailed, criticized me for not calling out Nate Tice live on the show. So if there's two people upset about that, there's definitely two people upset about lists. When there's millions of people, granted, there's going to be some that are upset. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, yeah, it's, it's officially the offseason. For draft reviews, be sure to go back to last week. We recovered all four divisions in four shows, about eight hours of reviewing the 2022 NFL Draft. We're moving on to list season, and uh, we're moving on in formatting here, too. So we're only going to two shows a week here, PFF NFL Podcast. The PFF NFL Daily is going to do one more week, and we're going to take a break. Mm -hmm. We did this last year. We're going to do a a quick sabbatical because the NFL news dies down. We die down with the Daily as well. We'll come back somewhere around training camp. Sound good? Yep. All right, good. and uh, would you want to explain what we uh, have up here? Well, we have the world's strongest coffee, Death Wish Coffee. Now, immediately, you've got to be intrigued by the name, right? Death Wish Coffee? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, we were we put out there, you know, put out the, uh, the desperate cries of men in need of coffee. And uh, our, our guy, Eric, from Death Wish Coffee was like, hey, I, we don't have Nespresso pods. But we have the world's strongest coffee. We have single uh, pour-over sachet deals, what are they called, over there in the box. Um, so he was like, I'd love to send you some. We're like, uh, yes. If there's anything we will take, it's free coffee. So this morning, well, I actually arrived a couple of days ago, box of Death Wish coffee. Beautiful. Bags That's of great. coffee. We've got hats over there. Tyler's got one in the, uh, in the booth. We've got some thermos mug things, and we've got the pour-over coffee. Ironically... I didn't actually have a chance to try the pour-over coffee this morning because I was late trying to get actual, you know, other coffee. Now, I, if I had I known... Don't mention what other coffee. No. But had I known the box was there, wouldn't have needed to. Yeah. Could have just come in, poured over, and gone. So, uh, easily bribed by coffee here. Oh, yes. So, it's uh, your move, Nespresso. But for now, Team Deathwish over here. Yes. And yeah, we'll definitely try. I'm going to try it later today. Thir- well, yeah. Later today and then Thursday, we will be powered by the pour-over coffee of Deathwish. What's the – there's two different types we got here. This one's – You're a medium roast Medium guy. roast, and that one's the dark roast. Give me the dark roast. Yeah. The, the world's strongest dark roast coffee. 
Is it the strongest medium roast coffee too? Yeah. Well, I mean, it just says the world's strongest coffee. I assume it's it's the world across the board. Everything. The PFF NFL podcast is also sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. Luckily, you've got first pick in selecting the right money moves. Do you need life insurance? What about help planning your financial goals? Don't pass on this round. No trading down here. Use your position to expand your financial education and learn more with information on life insurance, investing, and retirement planning at westernsouthern.com slash draft. All right, well, shout out to Western Southern, of course, the uh, presenting sponsor here mm-hmm. on the PFF NFL podcast. The owner, well, not the owners, the, what's the, the sponsor of the entire studio, the no. Western and Southern studio. They at least own the wall, I know that. They certainly own that plaque. No, the entire studio, for real. Yeah, and the helmet. And the helmet. And um, appreciate Deathwish uh, sending some samples here and uh, looking forward to dive in there. And we're going to dive in to the best off-seasons so far. So we've, we've had months of free agency, months of draft speculation, an actual draft, and now it's time. Which teams have had the best off-seasons? How do you want to do this? Just go back and forth? Yeah. Pull up a team. Okay. Which team do you like the best? As far as their offseason goes. Um, I think certainly one of the best offseasons any team has had has been the Cincinnati Bengals. Hometown, Cincinnati Bengals coming off the Super Bowl appearance. Um, NFL schedulers telling them they're going to have to get used to not playing at 1 p.m. on a Sunday anymore. Bengals are going primetime, baby. Um, and look, I think they were in a very similar spot to the Chargers of a year ago, but even more kind of souped up because they actually wait, went all the way to a Super Bowl came pretty close it would have been very easy to think we're kind of there you know burrow takes us as far as you need to go we got to tinker around the edges but we're you know more or less we're, we've arrived but they didn't they went at this and they went okay we, we overachieved we made a super bowl if we want to get back we have some serious work to do particularly on that offensive line um and we don't want to go into a draft desperately needing to try and grab offensive linemen. Uh, so they hammered it hard in free agency. Alex Kappa, Ted Karras, Lyle Collins. Um, Karras and Kappa, they hit very early in free agency. So they, they did this trick that's becoming a bigger and bigger piece now of essentially targeting second-tier free agents in the first tier of free agency. So instead of waiting while you know everybody goes after the big names and the high money guys just sign the guys you want like get to the front of the queue of the second tier guys and get them locked down they had the discipline to wait dallas out with lyle collins and not trade for him you know not make something crazy happen wait till like they release him signed him anyway uh suckered him in with the the wonders of kenwood mall um and then they went to the draft and were able to take what were just good players that didn't necessarily fit massive holes or massive areas of weakness like Daxton Hill because they'd already done the job in free agency. That, that's how you're supposed to build a team. I mean, yeah, you, you look at – it's just the ability to take a weakness and turn it into maybe even a strength. You know, we always say let's you know, creep back toward average, at least be middle of the pack. But when you look at Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, Lyle Collins – PFF grades of 72, 71, 80 just last year. But over the last three years, they've all been above average players at their respective positions. You're going from below average to above average at three-fifths of your offensive line. You already have the average Jonah Williams when it comes to PFF war, PFF grade. And you leave one essential question mark at, at left guard where it's like, all right, here's 15 people. Go go compete. Right. Go compete for left guard, 15 guys. And uh, you could still Odeabushi. 
You could always grab Ode Ibushi. So can everyone else if you really, really need to and you want to shore up that one last spot. So really like that for the Bengals uh, because that was the biggest question mark, right? It was the offensive line, and that opened up the flexibility in the draft to go get Daxton Hill in the first round and you know attack the secondary, add depth in various places. So, yeah, I like a lot of what the Bengals have done. Yep. All that said, it still might not matter much. It might not matter much. Yeah. Why would it not matter much? Because the AFC is just loaded. And it stops it mattering. They no, just... no, of course. I mean, look, they, you, can only, you can only do what you can during the offseason, making your team better. I think this is going to be a year, maybe more than ever, where some good teams are going to end up with bad records. Sure. Uh, average records, whatever it might be. Some good teams are going to finish 9-8, and 8-9, eight, eight and maybe 7-10. and 10. Yeah, between the AFC West, the AFC North, you know, even even the AFC East, you know, because I'm going to highlight the Dolphins later in their offseason. And it might not move the needle. It might not actually move the needle as far as wins go for the Dolphins because they're in the same division as the Bills and the Patriots, and an ascending Jets team and just a loaded AFC in general. So that's what's going to be really fascinating this season is seeing teams that look really good on paper and they're making all the right moves and it might not matter. Record-wise. Will the Bengals regress here even though their team's getting better? It's a legitimate possibility. Yeah. I, I mean, regress from the Super Bowl, of course. Right. We know that that's actually likely that they're not going to make the Super Bowl. Yes, exactly. Um, I, I mean, I think that just highlights why they needed to have a really good offseason. Like, they, if they had just said, you know, Burrow is pretty much the reason we're there. He's good enough. We'll be in contention next year again. I mean, they might have got destroyed. Like, the AFC is brutal next year. So they had to... They had to attack an offseason really hard, free agency, the draft. They had to have a really good offseason just to avoid heading backwards in a massive rate of knots. You just dropped off massive rate of knots again. Again, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wasn't hearing it until somebody pointed it out. No, I only just heard it after it came out of my mouth there. Yeah. Oh, well. That's okay. It's not a criticism. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's my not My ear's a, keen to it now. It's not an American idiom, I don't think. No, it just means fast. Well, we see it's a, it's an idiom from a time that predates your country, you know? You're, sure. not, you're not an old enough country for rate of knots to be a thing. No, we're youngsters here. Yeah. Just babies. Just babies here in the U.S. All right. Um, for me, best offseason, I'm going to go when we highlight the Denver Broncos. We're not necessarily going in order here. Sure. But I'm going to go with the Broncos. The team that for a couple of years now we're saying good roster needs a quarterback. Good roster needs a quarterback. Roster's still good. Mm-hmm. Now they have Russell Wilson. Got the quarterback. Yeah, so they have, they have Russ uh, to the point where, yeah, they gave up number nine in the draft. They gave up uh, a lot of draft picks, but the roster was good enough, right? I mean, it was good enough that this, this was okay. You know, and I, I thought when, you know, when Russell Wilson was talking about, when we were discussing Russell Wilson trades and the teams he might go to, like if he went to the Bears, who I've, you know, called out a few times here for just not having a very good roster. Like there were certain places that Russ would go if they had to give up a plethora of draft picks and they already don't have just a great team in place, it'd be like, okay, Russ, just stay in, just stay in Seattle. It won't be better. But Denver was a good place for Russell Wilson to go, just like we thought Denver would have been a good place for Aaron Rodgers to go um, You know, if he was you know, on his way out in Green Bay. So now you have Russell Wilson throwing to Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler coming back off injury the offensive line is solid but obviously the biggest piece here is russell wilson but they also add in randy gregory and you know kwan williams at slot corner they've just made 
uh, a few decent added a few decent pieces to their roster bring back Josie Jewell, Jewell that linebacker of course the big one though Russell Wilson immediately makes them a contender in the AFC yeah really does I mean that's that's as big a single upgrade as you're going to find in the entire offseason Denver went from having the combination of Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater quarterback to now Russell Wilson is is your guy and okay maybe you made yourself a little bit worse to make that happen it's it's not quite as um as clean as, hey, you just put Aaron Rodgers on this roster last year, and this is a Super Bowl team, but they did a pretty good job. I mean, you were always going to have to give up something in order to acquire a guy like Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers. They, you were never going to be able to do it, I think, just with draft picks. So, or even if you were, it was going to be significant opportunity cost in terms of, you know, first-round picks not coming in to bolster the roster, et cetera. But you have kept most of these significant pieces that you were going to be relying on or the reasons that you would have been excited about Russell Wilson on this team in place. You still have Cortland Sutton. You still have Jerry Judy. You lost Noah Fant, but you've got Albert O right behind him um, to step into that role. You drafted Greg Dulcich. In theory, that should work. KJ Hamler is still there. You, the receiving core, Tim Patrick, like that's, that's intact. You didn't really lose anything there. Um, running backs, you still have Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon. The offensive line is still in place. Uh, this is like the offense should be very good and you know a system that's worked in previous years the defense that's where i think there's been a little bit of turnover and they're gonna have some some work to do to to maintain where they've been in previous years but randy gregory was a big addition assuming he can stay uh, as productive as he was last year and as impactful they bring in a guy like nick benito that has a chance to you know, really improve the pass rush as a, even if he's just a designated pass rusher with Bradley Chubb. In theory, like Denver's in, they're in business and they needed to be because the AFC, the AFC West is now just a nightmare. I I like where they're constructed, the Broncos, right? I mean, when you talk about, we we really liked their secondary last year. Remember they they drafted Patrick Sertan Mm -hmm. in round one when they didn't necessarily need a corner. Now Sertan had an above average rookie season. Everybody in their secondary Again, using a PFF war standpoint, using grades, over the last three years, they've all been average to above average, right? I mean, I'm just looking at these position groups and saying, they're good there, they're good there, they're good there. I think the Broncos tick a lot of those boxes. The offensive line, it, it's good enough. You know, Russ has never played with great offensive lines, but he also doesn't make the offensive lo- line look good from our grading standpoint, right? He's going to hold the ball a little bit longer. Technically, they're going to give up a few more pressures. He's going to invite pressure. That the biggest question mark to me is how he handles working with, with Nathaniel Hackett, mm-hmm. new head coach, what that system looks like. As you said, it's a system that's been proven, but, you know, more Russell Wilson data points because he's had multiple offensive coordinators. They tried to bring in Shane Waldron last year. That was the Rams system. It was really – Russ was always kind of like a boomer bust type of quarterback, right? There was a lot of downfield passing. He's always been very, very good. But last year just didn't seem to work. It seemed like a top-heavy offense where they were not opening up the short in the intermediate game. But that's where the Hackett and Matt LaFleur, that's where those West Coast offenses have really excelled. So are they going to get Russ to play within structure, or are they adjusting the system to him where it's going to be a lot to take the top off the defense and you know we'll kind of see what we get as far as the underneath stuff goes. Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot about Russell Wilson and what his limitations are this year um, in terms of stylistic more than quality because I think we know that Russell Wilson can be an elite high end. That, that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. But what we don't know is 
whether he can fit any system or whether he works specifically within the system that he's kind of – or the play style that he's almost developed over the years. So the first point, that offensive line, it's not good, but it's probably amongst the best he's ever played with when you look at a Seattle career. So it shouldn't be a weakness. You know, you shouldn't be a case of you look at that Seattle team every year and you're like, man – they're, they're really not helping him out with that offensive line. It's fine. It should be functional, serviceable. Um, I mean, I had this conversation with Seth Galina, I think, during the draft, maybe on, on one of the live shows we were doing, about the thing about Russell Wilson is it's – and this is applicable, I think, to Kyler Murray as well. There, there was a reason that people were freaked out for years about short quarterbacks, right? It's not sure. like it's not a thing. Like, if you are 5'10", and the people in front of you are 6'6", there is a limit to how much you can see, right? Relative to, you flip that, you're Peyton Manning, you're 6'6". Like, when you stand next to NFL quarterbacks, by and large, the first thing, not so much you, but the, uh, the first thing for normal people... The average human? Yeah. Is, oh my God, these people are all huge. Yeah. Like, they're huge. NFL quarterbacks are massive human beings. They're all 6'5", 6'6". Um, and you don't really appreciate that until you're, like, standing right next to them. Like, guys like um, Frank Reich, right? Frank Reich... Just in like a photo of Frank Reich, you would like that guy is six foot, right? And then you see Frank Reich stood next to people, and you're like, dude, that guy is massive. Dan Orlovsky, same, right? The guy's a waif, but he's huge. Dan Orlovsky's like six five. Um, so there's and, and this has happened for a reason. Like it is advantageous to be six five, six six, and be able to see over the giant people in front of you and have as much room and as much field of vision as humanly possible. So. When people were freaked out by Russell Wilson and then Kyler Murray and you know these shorter quarterbacks, it was for a reason. And it is difficult for those guys to see certain areas that 6'6 that six, six quarterbacks don't have to think about. Um, where it doesn't matter in terms of like drafting them is it's not like it's new, right? Russell Wilson was playing the entire way being short. Kyler Murray was playing the entire way being short. So if they're already putting your, themselves in position where you're like, that guy's an elite draft quarterback. They found a way to overcome it. The question is, what way did they find to overcome the fact that they don't see the same areas as a Peyton Manning or a Tom Brady or whatever? And Russell Wilson has kind of developed this style where he can drop back, right, and move around and sort of generate, like, force open vision lanes that wouldn't be there if he just stayed in the pocket and, you know, tried to be tall in the pocket and, and find the, the throwing window. It's not there for a guy at that size. But if you're able to sort of drop back, move around, adjust, move the pocket, adjust the pocket, adjust the rush, all of a sudden you start to open up areas, right? You start to open up just parts of the field that you can see now. The problem is that's not how an offense is designed, right? It's certainly not how, you know, a West Coast offense is designed where it's all timing and rhythm and, like, there's – it's not the offense isn't set up for you to like just go up, bail, figure it out later, you know. Like Madden, drop back. Right. Drop back twenty yards, scramble left and right and break the game. Yeah, I mean honestly that's that's a sort of a funny way of phrasing it, but it's not it's a reasonable comparison for how Russell Wilson has developed as a style. Russell Wilson has essentially anthropomorphized the old way of playing Madden. Right? What? Anthropomorphized? Yeah, of course. Made human like Yeah. yeah. Just, you rolled off the tongue, just, yeah, yeah, impressed. The way people used to play, particularly with, like, Michael Vick in those old games, right, where you just drop back, start running around until everything opens up, and then make a play. That's kind of how Russell Wilson has developed stylistically as a quarterback. The question is, can he work within a different system 
more or is this how he has to be in order for you to get the best of Russell Wilson? There are some parallels to Aaron Rodgers too, by the way, if we go back. So let's go back to Aaron Rodgers' career briefly. There was a point. Go back? I mean, he's still playing. Let's go back through the years and discuss Aaron Rodgers' career. I'm not going back to his career. Let's go back through the years of Aaron Rodgers' career. How about that? When we hit 2019, the uh, nerd Twitter... Nerd football Twitter was like, Aaron Rodgers done. Yeah, yeah, we were, well, not we. He ain't People good no more. writing off Aaron Rodgers. He ain't good no more, they said. Um, no, a lot, of, a lot of numbers were pointing against Aaron Rodgers, uh, namely the team-driven ones like EPA. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some truth to that. <laughs> but like, Rodgers' grades were always still pretty good. He did a good job of taking care of the ball. He always made special throws. But the quote-unquote easy stuff wasn't always there. The middle of the field wasn't always there. And this is the same thing with Russell Wilson, right? When you look at Russell Wilson's passing chart, um, he just doesn't attack the middle of the field all that often, the same way a Kyler Murray doesn't do it all that often. That's just been the way Russ plays. But in twenty in twenty one, when Aaron Rodgers became MVP, all of a sudden he's getting rid of the ball a little bit quicker. The easy stuff, so to speak, is there. He's working the middle of the field a little bit more. Uh, they're using motion and various things in two thousand twenty to get to get players open. So Aaron Rodgers adjusted to the system, right? Which, again, was Nathaniel Hackett, was Matt LaFleur, wherever you want to divvy up that credit. We saw an Aaron Rodgers who was not as productive become more productive in part because he was just taking what was there. And I honestly think this has always been the thing that maybe Russ has been missing is taking more of the easy stuff, but, but finding that balance, right? We charge quarterbacks with sacks every year and you know, blame them instead of the, the, the tackle. Or, or the offensive line, you know, instead of taking 10 to 15 sacks a year, are you going to get rid of the ball and get, you know, throw it to the slant and throw it to the, to the hot when you need to and throw the five-yard hitch when it's there? If Russell Wilson can do that but not lose that natural playmaking ability, right? There's a balance between being too dependent on the system and then playing too far outside of structure. Finding that elite balance, which I think Rodgers overall has found mm-hmm. these last couple of years, that'll be the question for Russell Wilson. I, so I don't want to make it purely about height, but there is a difference between five foot eleven Russell Wilson and six foot two Aaron Rodgers. Like oh, I, no, Rogers, I get it. You know, there, there's a he has more scope to play within the conventional structures of an offense. What we might have with Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and any quarterback that's going to play at that size is there are certain ways these guys are going to have to play if you want them to be successful because they simply do not have the field vision available to them that taller quarterbacks do. Yeah, it's just it's not all a height thing. I'm just saying there no, are. But I think a lot of it is. Like I, I honestly think that when we talk about how those two guys play the game, and they play the game slightly differently, but the way that each one of those guys has developed their game to combat certain physical disadvantages, I think is very much driven by height. It's kind of like, you know, it, so. Remember Randall McDaniel, old Vikings guard, Hall of Famer? Yeah. Had one of the weirdest stances you're ever going to see in your life. Like this absurd, like, like leg was almost horizontal at the time. Like you look at that and you're like, hey, there's no way you can play like that. It couldn't be further from the sort of textbook, here's how you're supposed to line up thing. Like he did that to overcome the fact that he got injured one time. With a, he got a knee injury one time. This was the only way he could like line up that didn't give him excruciating pain or whatever and then he just did it for long enough that that's how he lined up even when he got healthy but that's kind of what you're dealing with like Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson have developed something different that works for them to overcome the fact that they're 5'10 5'11 um, 
and that's the re- that might just be the reality of how those guys have to play the game. All right, give me another team that you uh, like. To, do we just stay in the entire AFC West? Yeah, yeah, let's stay in that division because I think the next obvious one is the Chargers. No, I think that's fair. I mean, the Chargers, they, they looked pretty good last year. Mm-hmm. They didn't make the playoffs after all that. But Justin Herbert, I think, you know, emphasized after a very good rookie season, he's here to stay, right? He's in that yeah. star power elite group of quarterbacks for the foreseeable future. And then the Chargers went and said, okay, we got the elite rookie contract quarterback. Let's build around him. Khalil Mack trade, signing J.C. Jackson, aggressive moves by the Chargers, but it, it fits with where they are as a franchise. Yeah, it really does. Um, I think the Chargers and the Bengals have both taken a very similar approach to finding their quarterback, right? You find your quarterback of the future, you get that window now of elite guy playing on a rookie deal, now you start trying to build around that guy as fast as possible. And they've done it almost in opposite ways, but the first year for the Chargers was all about rebuilding that offensive line, even though it would have been easy to look at how Justin Herbert performed under pressure and say, eh, we don't need to. Justin Herbert's good enough. Like, we'd, he'll, he'll get it done. Kind of the way the Seahawks did for years with Russell Wilson, right? We don't need to build the offensive line. Russ is able to play like this under pressure, so who cares? Let's put the resources somewhere else. Uh, the Chargers, I think, were smart to say, we know play under pressure is very volatile and unstable and does not tend to stay the same way year on year. So instead of being suckered into this idea that Justin Herbert will always outperform the pressure he's under, let's make sure he's under less pressure next year. They rebuilt that offensive line year one. They've kept hammering at it in year two uh, in the draft, Zion Johnson. Um, But then year two for them in free agency generally was about, okay, offense is in a pretty good spot. We rebuilt the offensive line. We... um, you know, we've, we've kept our receivers around. Mike Williams signs the big deal before free agency. Now let's try and give Brandon Staley the weapons to build a defense that looks like the Rams, which is why we hired him in the first place, right? This guy led the league's number one defense, you know, when he was with the Rams. That's why we gave him the job. He doesn't have that talent level here. We've got a couple of guys. We've got uh, Joey Bosa. We've got hashtag the player, number 33. Number 33. Very good player. Jerwin Dames. He still he might be the still might be the best pass rusher on the team that features Khalil Mack and <laughs> it, Joey Bosa. It by is the true. Way. Um, somebody was asking, by the way, like it, it's reached the level of you know such an in joke that nobody understands where it came from. You can't name the player, or you will jinx him. He'll get injured. Yeah, he gets hurt a lot every mm-hmm. time you say his name. It's hurt, so we stick with the player here. Right. The PFF NFL podcast. He is anonymous, therefore he will not get injured, and therefore we will not be robbed of his greatness. It's going to be really weird when he signs that big contract soon, too, and we got to do a whole breakdown on him. Yeah. Anyway, so they had a couple of players, but now they've started to add, you know, real reinforcements to it. Khalil Mack, obviously, um, but quietly, Sebastian Joseph Day in free agency as well. J.C. Jackson was the one you mentioned. Like, they've started to add some real players to this group that should help Brandon Staley create a defense that looks more like the Rams from a couple of years ago. I'm interested in the types of players that they have, too. I know Asante Samuel, slightly below average rookie season at corner, but him and J.C. Jackson. I mean, J.C. Jackson has more of a track record, of course, in the NFL, but both guys just get their hands on the football, right? They're, they are yeah. playmakers, and you've got Khalil Mack and Bosa up front. I do wonder how much the Chargers... We always joke about coaches emphasizing turnovers. We just emphasize turnovers this year. It's really what we tried to do. And you can't really just do that, right? You can't just tell no. your players, turn the ball over more, guys. You know what? If we win the turnover differential, we're going to win the game. Just do it more often. 
right? You can't really do that, but there are some tactics you could take defensively. If you want more turnovers, you play more zone rather than man, and then you just if you do litter your team with guys with excellent ball skills, even if they're more uh, risk-reward when it comes to giving up plays, like a Marcus Peters type, you can lean that way. I do wonder how much the Chargers are saying. Asante Samuel, J.C. Jackson, guys who historically do turn the ball over well, and we're a part of a defense that plays more zone, will have eyes on the ball. We're going to try to steal some possessions here this year as well, get that back to our offense. I wonder how much that goes into this whole team-building strategy here for the Chargers. Yeah, you can, you can play with tactics. You can play with scheme to emphasize turnovers. And as you say, you can also target players that, that play like that. You can target guys that are more boom or bust, but they, they generate turnovers. There are guys that are like that. And then there are guys that do not generate turnovers, but – the trade-off is that they are better down-to-down coverage players or whatever. They're going to give up less, but they're not likely to generate you many turnovers. So that is actually a, an interesting part of this whole build is the Chargers do appear to be targeting players that are of that style, that this group will generate turnovers. Now, they may give up some big plays to offset that, but like this, was, this is the argument with Trayvon Diggs the whole way, right? Does he generate enough turnovers to offset the fact that he gives up an absolute ton? And if you look at things like EPA, you can make the argument that, yes, he does. Now, the question is, what happens next year when 11 picks drops to, like, six? Is it still the same thing? But that's what the Chargers appear to be doing. Let's get a group of players that all play like that. And if we can, you know, lead the league in turnovers, it doesn't matter if we're the best defense in the world, shut down, you know, the 85 Bears, because we're going to turn it over a lot, and that'll give our offense a ball. The, the one thing the Chargers didn't do much of, I mean, I know they added Sebastian Joseph Day, but and Austin Johnson, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's $7 million a year for a guy that's been just okay over the last couple of years. want to see what that run defense looks like, because the Chargers definitely, you know, we agree with their general strategy of sitting back and letting, the te- letting teams run the ball, but you don't want to let teams run the ball for 250 yards right. every single week. You want to be able to defend the run with fewer players in the box. Khalil Mack, edge defender, certainly going to help that. But will Joseph Day, Austin Johnson, will those guys, because on, will they help enough? Because on paper, it still looks like a weak interior uh, of the defense yeah. across, you know, compared to the rest of the league, but it still might be better. It might be good enough. Um, and again, I think the team building strategy here of um, use, uh, attacking high value positions, kind of filling it in on the interior of the defensive line to just be good enough if, if that's going to work here for the Chargers this year. I do think that Khalil Mack makes a material difference to that run defense in addition to you know what he can do as a pass rusher. Mack has been arguably the best run-defending edge rusher in the league since he came into the league. Um, and a guy that good against the run, even if he's not right up the middle, like that guy will make a difference to your run defense. All right, before we get into other teams, I want to introduce our newest sponsor. It's Sunday. Does your lawn have weeds, bare patches, or pet spots? Sunday can help you solve all these problems and more the easy way. I, I absolutely love this product because I can, I can use it. It's that simple. They've got everything you need from fertilizer to seeds to weed control, and it's all delivered right to your door. Sunday can help you grow a beautiful lawn without the guesswork or the nasty chemicals. That's huge. Their custom plants include fertilizer and everything you need to easily care for your lawn. You can feel good about kids and pets being around. So my four kids running around the lawn, not mm. worried about it. Get your dog, don't even have to worry about it. And your kid too, both of them. You have both. 
Just attach the ready-to-use pouch to a garden hose and spray. It takes less than 15 minutes. So easy. Steve can do it. And Sunday's offering our listeners 20% off. Full season plans start at just $129, and you can get 20% off at checkout when you visit GetSunday.com slash NFLPod. It's 20% off for your custom plan at GetSunday.com slash NFLPod. Look at the picture there. It's a great-looking lawn. Which yeah. I need, I need some you, help in the lawn department right now. You live in, in – I mean, if you live in the suburbs – it's a, it's like a, it's a competition thing, right? You can't be the guy with the crappy lawn can't have that. when everyone else is there with their nice, you know, perfect. You have to, you have to up the game. Yeah, I think getsunday.com slash NFL Pod is going to help a lot of people here. Help all of our listeners keep up with the uh, with your lawn game. So, looking forward to uh, to having Sunday around here. All right, is it my turn? To pick up a team here? Uh, I mean, we collectively went to the Chargers there. so We did. Sure. Do, you want, do you have another team you wanted to highlight? Uh, yeah. So, is it, it, Do we have any NFC teams that we like? Yes. Really? This, this is an NFC team. Oh, wow. Um, I would like to highlight the Atlanta Falcons. Ooh. The Falcons finally started their rebuild, right? Now, look, you can... I guess you can quibble the way it happened in that they, they got themselves into the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, missed out, and then we're like, uh-oh. <laughs> That's a bridge we burned and can't really put back together, you know? Once you've been like, hey, Matt, thanks for everything you've done, but we're going after Deshaun Watson here, see ya, and you don't get it, that's, that's you know, you can't unmake that. Like, that's a problem that now that – your hands are tied at that point. But they find, like, they – mistakes were made in the past in terms of – what they, redid, what they did to Matt Ryan's contract and, and sort of hamstrung themselves going forward. They eventually decided just screw it. Bite the bullet. Let's start now. Trade away Matt Ryan. Um, eat the dead money, the, the gargantuan dead money, and just start the rebuild right now. They did that. Okay, Marcus Mariota, that's not a bad bridge quarterback to, re, you know, to start this whole thing. Um, you end up getting Desmond Ritter in the draft as well. So for a team that really didn't have the resources to invest anything in the quarterback position, that's not a bad uh, way of treading water for a little bit. And it gives you the potential if Ritter is capable of more than people thought he was. Um, but then you look at how they started this rebuild, and in particular the draft, but also you know, re-signing important players in free agency, bringing back Cordero Patterson, taking a Casey Hayward for not much money at all, coming off a, a rejuvenated year for him. Um, it couldn't have gone much better for them in terms of, I think, kickstarting this rebuild. Drake London in the draft, you know, a potential number one wide receiver, another option to Kyle Pitts. You bring back Patterson and free agency. Uh, Mariota should allow you to do different things on offense as well. They re-sign Grady Jarrett, the, the best player on that defense, um, lowers the cap number this year so you can actually sign your rookies. I, you know, they've, I think this is a good job as a step one of a rebuild that had to start at some point. No, I could buy into it, man. I think uh, you highlighted a lot of those good points, and it's they're moving on, right? I mean, they're, they're moving forward, and uh, the way, you know, on the way to finding a quarterback, grabbing Ritter in the third round and having the flexibility next year to draft another quarterback is great for the Falcons. Uh, they have an it's just such an interesting team with uh, Cordero Patterson and hit the way he played last year and now adding all that size at receiver, well, all the size that they have at receiver slash tight end, if you want to call Kyle Pitts a tight end. 
they're going to be fun to watch play offensively. They were last year, even mm-hmm. as Kyle Pitts emerged a little bit, and you saw you saw Patterson. And uh, I think all you can ask as a Falcons fan is, you know, have this have these foundational pieces, and you know, find some other periphery pieces this year, and then okay, next year, like let's really be in a good spot. And I think that's good strategically too, as Tom Brady's probably not going to be playing with the Bucks beyond this year. We'll see. Uh, Panthers are still they still have their question marks the Saints are going to be good but it's not like the Saints are going to rule the division or anything like that as of now so the the Falcons can really look to 2023 and say okay that's the year we're going to really shine here and if who knows if Marcus Mariota has a Ryan Tannehill like rejuvenation under Arthur Smith the guy that Marcus Mariota got benched under but you know, maybe there is something to Arthur Smith the second time around with Marcus Mariota here. So I, I like a lot for the Falcons where they are. I loved their draft as far as where they got players. And yeah, I think last year's roster was rough. They've they've had a couple years where it's really you have a Grady Jarrett, you have a Deion Jones, we saw AJ Terrell emerge. We've you've got one player per unit essentially that you feel pretty good about. And you know, it's just not good enough. Yeah. That was the box for, for years. Remember, it was like Gerald McCoy and Levante David, and, and that's it. Right. And you got to get some pieces around him, and the Falcons are just starting to do that. And there are another team, I think, that deserves credit for recognizing the realistic position they were actually in. The Falcons won seven games last year. It would have been, been entirely understandable for them to think that actually we're a better team than we are. But they won seven games and had a, a points differential of negative 146. The last time they were worse than that was the last year before Matt Ryan arrived, where they were 4-12 and 12 with Joey Harrington at quarterback and Bobby Petrino, you know, that, that disastrous year. Like, that's the last time they were worse than last year. That didn't work out. In terms of points differential. Um, you know, the, the season before, like 2020, they won four games, but they had a points differential of minus 18. So they were like 120 points better last year in 2020 than they were last season. Like, it would have been easy for them to think that they were a much better team than they actually were, but they recognize, no, this is like, if, we, if we're getting rid of Matt Ryan, or if we're, we're either going for a home run of Deshaun Watson, or we're, re, or we're blowing this thing up and starting over. Um, so I think the Falcons deserve some credit for recognizing that this was not a good team last year, and the seven wins thing was kind of a mirage. Um, Let's start. Let's start this rebuild. It had to happen at some point. And okay, the, the way you started it might not have been great, but I think they did about as well as they could have once they had started that. All right. Next team's off season I want to highlight is the Miami Dolphins. Okay. And look, a, a lot of this still, it's still going to come down to Tua. He heads into year three. Took a step forward last year. Was it enough? Uh, was it consistent enough? I, you know, he had some high end games against lesser teams. But they, they made the power move to go get Tyree Kill. And I think, you know, part of me liking this is the Dolphins, they didn't mortgage their future as far as draft picks go. But they because they, they, they were in this cycle since about 2019 where they were just overflowing in draft capital, right? And, and you, could use the, you could use that on first-round picks, multiple first-round picks. They had three a couple years ago, even though, you know, the results aren't necessarily great when, it looks at, when you look at Austin Jackson and Noah Igbenogany. Uh, in that Tua draft, but they had multiple first-round picks and then having the extra draft capital to go get a Tyreek Hill. And look, this is it's the biggest story of the offseason. I think we could spend an entire show breaking down the teams 
that have the elite quarterbacks, the teams that have the elite number one wide receivers, teams that used to have both now are, are, are split off from those guys. And we're going to see the impact of Tyree Kill and Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown elsewhere, right? We're going to see those guys in new situations with lesser quarterbacks. It's just the, it's just the truth. They're all, all of those top receivers are going to places with lesser quarterbacks. But if you're the Miami Dolphins and you have a Tua and you're saying, I have to compete, right? We can't go get Deshaun Watson now. We can't go get a top eight quarterback we're not going to draft a quarterback who's going to step in and be a top eight guy. What's the next best thing? Let's try to break defenses with Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell and Mike McDaniel coming in with the Shanahan system, getting guys into space as, as well as anybody. You have Mike Kosicki coming back. I mean, there's no better way to build a team around whichever quarterback you have than to flood the field with these types of playmakers. So I thought the Dolphins made the right moves. Now, will this all work out? Again, you're in a loaded AFC. Yeah. You still might not be better than the Patriots. I mean, you're going to be similar to the Patriots probably as a team in the AFC, most likely. So you might finish second. You could, But can you challenge the Bills? If you're going to try, this would be the way to do it if you're the Miami Dolphins. Oh, yeah. don't forget the offensive line too. Right. What that was a big there. thing. I mean, yeah, they've definitely made a lot of moves to try and make sure that they have a viable situation around Tua for the first time. Um, I have a little. I have some concerns about how Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and like how this offense works together uh, in terms of stylistically. How do you fit those guys into the same offense? Like the criticism of the Shanahan offense, certainly in San Francisco, the last couple of years is. I mean, it's great they're able to get incredible production out of players that are unusual skill sets, not necessarily at the same time. Right, So you stumble into like George Kittle, who becomes the best tight end in the NFL. Absolute dominant force as a run blocker, and when you need him to be your number one receiver, he puts up absurd numbers. And then you stumble into Debo Samuel, and George Kittle kind of fades off into the background. Like, George Kittle should never be a sort of background supporting cast member, given what you found in him when he had that incredible season, and yet that's what happened. And then when Debo gets hurt or isn't in the lineup, all of a sudden George Kittle goes off for 200 yards again. So that, I think, is a little bit of a concern, whether they can get multiple exceptional playmakers firing at the same time. That's, it's one thing when you have the 49ers offense and everybody's kind of settled. Now you're bringing in a Tyreek Hill. You put the huge investment there. But you also just drafted Jalen Waddle in the first round, and these are quite similar stylistic players. So... That, uh, it is a question mark, I think, how that's going to work. It doesn't necessarily mean it won't work well. Um, so I, I can't, you know, ding it too badly as a, a bad move or anything. But I think that's an open question right now. Adding Teron Armstead at left tackle, Connor Williams at left guard, those are two big moves for this offensive line heading back in the right direction. Uh, Robert Hunt should give you a third spot that will be at least average, maybe better than average if they put him back at right tackle or I think he's a better player. That just leaves you center and right guard to get their heads back above water there are rumors i mean jc treader is still out there yeah there are rumors about maybe jc treader being that guy imagine that cherry on top i mean of look, this as much as we talk about the bengals offensive line overhaul the dolphins got better players they spent more money yeah but the dolphins overall i mean they got comparable or better players especially if they had a treader i mean look we've we've reached this time now where we're past the formula for compensatory picks you know for anybody signing now is not counting against your compensatory pick formula so 
you're going to see a lot of players, veterans who are waiting until after the draft, that were waiting for that deadline to pass, signing. And there's a lot of teams that did a good job but still have, like, one offensive line spot open, you know, and, and guys like J.C. Treader are still out there. So I think the Dolphins wouldn't be badly served to take a guy like that they, and make it just one spot that they have to get average play from with a collection of young guys battling it out. But really, when, you're, when we're now saying – you know, all the pressure's on Tua. And that's a good thing, right? Because now it means it's not anywhere else, right? It means that Tua, for the first time, can't blame the offensive line and can't blame the receiving core and can't blame the offense and all this kind of stuff. One, uh, one way of looking at it is now the pressure's on him. But the other way of looking at it is, well, now for the first time, he's got a viable situation to work with. And ultimately, if you're going to be an NFL quarterback, that the pressure should be on you because you're the guy that needs to make this work. So... Yeah, the pressure is on Tua now, but I think that that's for a good reason. It, it's because they've actually done a good job of putting a situation around him for the first time. Do you think Tua might morph fully into my uh, Jimmy Garoppolo comp? The stats are going to start looking even better. There's going to be enough games. The the you know Twitter Twitter's a great a great judge of, of quarterbacks, right? When you're watching the Dolphins, half of Twitter's going to be like, "Hey, Tua's Tua's looking good, taking a step forward." He just hit Tyreek Hill wide open over the middle, who ran 78 yards. Look at those stats; they look great. And then Tua gets into the red zone and throws one of the D back, you know, defensive back. And it's like, oh, Tua, you can't win with Tua. That's mm. going to be Twitter. Well, that was kind of what it was year. last year anyway. It was with him. I mean, but like, really now. Like the there, stats are going to look that much better. There are Dolphins Tyree. fans out there that believe that Tua is amazing. Like, and will point to like one pass that he dropped into a bucket like deep down the field. It's like, okay, yeah, but you know. We're just trying to be honest here. Look, I, we liked Tua coming out. I thought... I, oh, I thought if his, anybody is invested in making Tua sound better than he has been, it should be us. Yeah, given we, that we had him ranked above Justin Herbert when of they course. came out. But like the the NFL evidence isn't great so far. But at the same time, going back two years, we always joked that you know he was used to Alabama Open, right? We he might be playing with all sorts of Alabama Open here between the new system, the speed that he has. You talk a lot about receiving cores, and we talk both about like building a basketball team, but. Um, I don't think you always need to have multiple skill sets. Sometimes you just you go small. Like sometimes you, you put your small lineup out there and beat teams with your strength. And the Dolphins are going to be able to do that with their speed, with Tyree Kill, uh, Jalen Waddell, and Mike Kosicki, who's a tight end in name only. Right? They have so much versatility there, so much that defenses have to account for. I'm looking forward to seeing what Tua does here. And uh, I thought last year's offense too. It was. It was very RPO-heavy. It was a lot of, you know, we'll throw the little slant. Just throw the little slant. We went through. We have 70, 70% completions at six yards a pop here. So um, I think they have a chance to open it up, create more big plays, get a better gauge of Tua. And if he's good, you know, good for the Dolphins. You've got, you've got your guy for the future, and you're going to build around him. If he's not, you know it's time to move on because we still have this foundation and See if Tom Brady wants to own the team and play when he's 46, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're doing here a year from now this time. It's either Tua's team or literally Tom Brady's team. He was down there at, uh, at Miami in the Grand Prix, the Formula One. Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah. Chilling with Michael Jordan and David Beckham and, you know. Yeah, I had uh, – Morphing fully into, I like, couldn't go this weekend. celebrity Brady, you know. Yeah, I couldn't make it. No? This weekend. You would have fit in. There's a lot of tall people wandering around the paddock. Yeah. I had my buddy in town who's 6'7", actually. Hmm? So we had, so I was busy. But there was no other tall people. I just hang out with tall people. Yeah. Uh, so Formula One has this thing where the guy goes, does a grid walk, right? Walks down the grid before the race and just starts interviewing randomers, right? Celebrities, blah blah. 
somebody in his ear told him that the guy, like, right there, that's Patrick Mahomes. Grab him. Grab him. Starts interviewing this guy. It wasn't Patrick Mahomes at all. It was some baseball player that I'd never heard of. So he was just like, and then eventually, like, halfway through the interview, he was like, oh, yeah, it turns out that's not Patrick Mahomes. Somebody gave me bad info. It was like, no wonder he wasn't, like, listening to me at the start. It could have been. It could have been. Pat. It was probably Pat Mahomes Sr. No, no. Former Twins pitcher. No. It was some other guy. I forget oh. the guy's name. Oh, that's fine. Because Pat Mahomes was a, he was a baseball player. Yeah. Anyway, it wasn't Mahomes. Who was the baseball player? I don't know. I don't remember his name. I'm sure he's a very good baseball player. Yeah, there you go. Him. There you oh. go. There's his name. Paolo Bacero. That's not a baseball player. Isn't it? I'm pretty, well, I'm pretty sure it was. I don't think so. i reasonably certain it was. I mean, it's not a former baseball player, and it's certainly not a current player. They're playing right now. It's the season. Nobody's make... at a race right now. They're playing baseball games every day. How do you know? Because you play 162 games in 180 oh, days. He's a basketball you know. player. Yeah, there you go. Baseball. Duke basketball player. There's never an off day on Sunday. You don't get never Sundays an off day in baseball. Saturday and Sunday, you play every single game. Huh. You play every week. pretty harsh. Yeah. Like, everybody's like, have a good weekend. Oh, yeah. Working. Working. <laughs> Working this weekend. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, so Duke basketball player, not Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, look at us. A lot of podcasts coming out lately on, like, the intersection of sports and, like, you know, society. F1, and, F1's taken off. We've got to be there. Yeah. We've got to be on the F1 train. No, I'm good. No? Ben's been there for years, right? Yeah, yeah. It's well, ironically, because Ben wouldn't fit in a race car. Neither would you. They're very small people, race drivers. You, you should have seen me over at the, you know, with the BMWs a few weeks ago. Yeah, I, no. No, no, no. Like a BMW is a car made for regular humans. A Formula One car is designed for Not people for that are like five foot six. Like I would be a Formula One giant. Just saying. I learned some skills. All right, who else had a good off? Everybody had a great off season. Everybody's a winner. Everybody feels good about their off seasons. I don't think that's true. Are we going to do negative off seasons here too? Oh, we could. Bad ones? Um, who else? Stay in the AFC because all the good off seasons just happen in the AFC. Uh, Buffalo. Buffalo Bills, another team full in the arms race. Like we're not screwing around. We're going to keep adding. <laughs> we're going to go out and sign Von Miller. Um, they bring in Tim Settle. They bring in some players to really make an impact on that defense. Um, and, I mean, Buffalo's not screwing around either. The entire AFC is loading up. They re-sign Mitch Morse. They uh, bring in Daquan Jones, Von Miller, as we said. Like, Buffalo's not screwing around either. The good thing about um, Buffalo is they, they didn't have to play as much as everyone else, right? They didn't have to go crazy at receiver and in these. I mean, uh, here's the other interesting part of Buffalo's offseason. They paid Stephon Diggs. Mm -hmm. All the other teams. I mean, again, this is is the story for me, man. This is the story this offseason. The Packers, Chiefs, and now the Titans lose their, their top receiver. A guy that we have seen dominate, take over games, and or... Take a quarterback and elevate them, right? However you want to say that, right? I mean, we can, eat, we can talk about Josh Allen's development and Ryan Tannehill's development, but it completely coincided with having a, a legitimate number one wide receiver. So there's, there's some dependency there, we'll say. We've never seen Patrick Mahomes without Tyreek Hill for an extended period of time. We haven't seen Aaron Rodgers without Devontae Adams in about eight years. We haven't seen Josh Allen play well without Stephon Diggs. We haven't seen Ryan Tannehill play at the same level without A.J. Brown. And out of all those situations, the Bills locked up 
Stephon Diggs. And instead of saying, well, we've got Josh Allen for 40 to $50 million a year for the next you know, however many years, we can't afford Stephon Diggs. We're going to, as the Chiefs did, deploy our resources elsewhere. So instead of one to Stephon Diggs, we'll have five players at other positions through the draft or whatever it might be and take that money and you know, deploy it differently through the receiving core. I love the fact that we get to see a Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs you know, combo staying together. And then, oh, by the way, yeah, Gabriel Davis, as we always said, looked like Jerry Rice in their last playoff game and has emerged as a legitimate threat on the outside. So the Bills were already good at the place where other teams were going crazy trying to, trying to catch up. Um, and now you add Von Miller, as you said, and you know, continue to add to this defense. Yeah, I think the Bills... Just for the Bills every year, just maintaining their roster strength and coming out of it and saying, yeah, this, this is a top three team coming out, of the, coming out of the season. I think those are all going to be wins for the Bills going forward, just maintaining their roster strength. And I absolutely think they did that this year. Um, somehow, every time Stephon Diggs signs a contract, he's still a bargain. Like, even when he's signing... By, by a few million, but yeah. But, but those are important millions, you for know sure. what I mean? Like, every, every contract that Diggs is signed he's ended up being a bargain almost immediately um so even now he re-signs and he's still the fifth best paid receiver in the nfl in terms of average per year in a year or two obviously that'll go down more people will sign like we're, we're a year or two away again from stefan diggs being seen as this like absolute bargain player um which has been the case with his last contract. Like every single time the dude signs, he ends up looking like a bargain for some reason. So for the Bills to lock him down and still, I mean, he's $6 million a year shy of the Tyreek Hill average. He's $4 million a year shy of Devontae Adams. He's, you know, a few million below the DeAndre Hopkins deal that was breaking everybody's market and, and negotiations. He's earning less than A.J. Brown in terms of an average per year. Like that's an absolute steal for Buffalo who – have an elite wide receiver and will get the most out of him because they have Josh Allen at quarterback as well. That's great business to lock down a guy like Stephon Diggs, who clearly made a, a huge difference to Josh Allen when he arrived. We have breaking news, Sam. Yeah. Breaking news here on May 9th. The Detroit Lions have signed Aiden Hutchinson. I see. Four-year deal, guaranteed $35.7 million. I need – so – it's it's great. Not I news. think it's a great move by the Lions. Let's break down the move by the Lions. It isn't news that a rookie signed his deal. So for all these insiders, you know, who are going to spend the next three weeks tweeting out, the Jets have announced, the blah, blah. It isn't and news I'm going to quote tweet every single one and say, great move. Right. It, it, it is not news that a rookie signed his deal. It is news when a rookie doesn't sign his deal and it is now training camp. Right. That is the only time I wish to hear about a rookie signing his deal. Right. Is when we've now reached the point where he should be on the field and he isn't. That's when it's news. It's not news that they just signed their rookie because that's it's what else are you going to tweet about in May? Literally anything else. We're looking for some impressions here. Literally. And we're going to get impressions when we say, hey, Aiden Hutchinson. Signed. Anything else. Anything in the world. I can't wait till Trayvon Walker signs. Has he signed yet? That's going to be a huge one for the Jags. If they could really sign it. I hear they're hot on Trayvon Walker. Talking contract. And if they can get him, huge move. Huge move for the Jaguars. I hate it. I hate that they announce every single one of those picks like it's anything that isn't just automatic. It's like does, a slotted deal now. All you have to do is haggle over. Does this speak to your like, 25% theory? No. That the 25% of people are going to be like, 
I like this. I'm going to like this tweet. No. I'm excited. Who was the last holdout that we actually had? Is it Joey Bosa? Maybe. Who was the last rookie that legitimately held out? Yeah, I think it would have, would have been Bosa. But it just doesn't like – that's the thing. It, it's almost – it's so rare now because all the contracts are slotted. Everything is basically taken care of. All they got to do is haggle over like offset language at the ass end of the contract. So almost nobody argues. Um, so it isn't news that a guy signed his deal. It's news when he doesn't and we've reached the point of training camp where he should be playing and isn't. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, so you know, don't bring that up. I thought it was fun. No. Breaking news. Anyone else have a good, uh, a good off-season, Sam? It's my turn to bring somebody to the table. Sure. Eagles? The Eagles had a good one. I'll take the Eagles. They didn't have – so this is, this is just based off the draft, really. Yeah. Because it's not like in free agency. It's the draft and Hassan Reddick. Yeah, right. I mean, they were – but I think that might be part of, part of the play here, right? I mean, they, they didn't overdo it in free agency. I think the roster was in this spot where they've pretty much in a rebuild, but they also didn't have like massive holes and question marks everywhere. You definitely wanted to get younger on the defensive line. They've started to do, to do that over the last couple of years, but they went and got AJ Brown. So all the teams that, have, that are getting the shiny objects, whether it works or not, I think the process is sound. I think it's the right move. Now, if it doesn't work, Right. If the if the Raiders offense, it was, well, let's start with the Eagles. If the Eagles offense doesn't get much better, and if the Dolphins offense doesn't get much better, and if the Raiders don't get much better, and who's the other one I'm missing? Is there one other? Who's the other receiver? Oh, that's it. If those offenses don't get much better, then maybe we rethink the impact of wide receiver one. Right. But I think process wise. If you have Jalen Hurts at quarterback, who did well last year, he was fine. Good season by Jalen Hurts. But if you have Jalen Hurts at quarterback, rookie year, rookie deal, and the whole thing, this is the right process. Like, let's the only way you can take a massive step forward offensively is to take a massive step forward as far as your receiving core goes. And you can either do that by signing two guys, drafting two guys, having two, two or three players, or getting one plus, but like one in particular that's going to really make everybody better. The Eagles, I don't know if there's a team out there <clears throat> over the last sort of however many years that has had, generally speaking, better process with their front office moves than Philadelphia. Um, I also don't know if there's a better team or that there's a team out there that's had more bad luck with how those things have worked out. And they, they're sort of the perfect embodiment of how running an NFL team feels a lot like a poker game where – Every time when you hear about the analytics and process and how these things are supposed to work, the idea is you just want to get your money in with the best hand every time, right? And it doesn't mean that you're going to get the best results. Sometimes you get your money in with the best hand and you suck out. The, the other guy wins, even though he had a much smaller chance of making that happen. But the point is, if you do that over a long period of time, the odds will eventually break in your favor. But you have to be prepared to live with the short-term variance of sometimes you're going to get screwed. And the Eagles seem to have done that quite a lot recently. I think they've generally made a lot of really sound moves and a lot of sound process decisions. But they end up with, you know, Jalen Rager and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. And, you know, things went south for Philadelphia quite a lot with a lot of the moves that they made. And 
it, it's in you know poker you can go broke right without doing anything wrong essentially you get your hand you get your money in with the best hand and you catch an unlucky card in the nfl everybody can get fired by just getting unlucky like you made the right calls you made the right decisions the process was sound and you just were subject to the luck, the bad luck of the draft and you picked the wrong guy and sometimes you pick the wrong player right yeah. which but okay it's not like that's entirely independent of your fault right like you selected that guy but the draft is there's still a reason it's called a crapshoot right everybody's strike rate is bad nobody is batting a thousand here you're going to pick bad players everybody is the problem is if you do that when you made when you made a move that is seen as questionable in the first place and then you end up with a bad player it's just very easy in the nfl to be a vic to be a like a a victim of circumstance and a victim of bad luck. And even if you made procedurally correct moves, you're on the hot seat all of a sudden because you end up just a bit unlucky. I, I think the Eagles overall have – I don't know there's a better team out there in terms of how they've been making moves for the last four, five years. And if, you know, Howie hadn't had a good offseason this year, I, he could have been on the hot seat in a major way. And that was – so I agree with you overall. I think their process has been sound and everything. And that was even making the move to try to like keep that 2017 team that won the Super Bowl, keeping them together maybe a hair longer than they could have. And it looked like it would have been coming out of that. It could have been this crazy multi-year rebuild. But I think that's what maybe teams like the Eagles, maybe even the Saints, you know, teams that have been aggressive in different ways. I think there's the, I think they're changing their perception, right? I think there used to be this perception that you have this Super Bowl window. When you're in the window, go crazy, but when you get out of the window, like you're in trouble. You know, your 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 organization's going to you're going to fall flat. You have to rebuild for 5 years. And look, the Saints still have to figure out quarterback. If they don't if they don't get a quarterback, they're immediately going to be working from behind because they don't have a quarterback that's as good as Drew Brees during their big Super Bowl window. But the Saints have maintained a pretty good roster. I think the Eagles looked like they would have they really had to crash and burn, but I think they've come out of it a lot quicker than I anticipated, right? Then I think maybe historically we would anticipate when you say, okay, you've got all these players getting older and the Zach Ertzes of the world and uh the Jason Peters of the world, all of these starting positions and you're moving on from Carson Wentz and all that stuff. But they bounced, they turned it around pretty quickly, I think, in, in Philadelphia overall. So yeah, I'm and with you. I think they've done a good work there. I think they've done a great job of maintaining the hedge, right? The Jalen Hurts may be the answer, but might not be equally. So they've maintained a stockpile of first-round picks, and they've kicked them into the future so that if it does go south, they can make aggressive moves up in the draft and go after a quarterback. And they haven't needed to yet, or they haven't found the draft where it makes sense, but they've kept that going, right? They traded out of this year, not out of the first round. They traded one of their first round picks this year for a future first so that they're, again, in a similar position to be able to have draft capital in the first round and make an aggressive move if they need to. These are all smart things to do if you don't have a guaranteed you know, star at quarterback, which they don't yet. Like Jalen Hurts has been okay. He's been adequate. He might get better, but he clearly isn't Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert or a guy that you have zero doubts about and can therefore deploy all of that resources and making the team right now better. So these are all smart things that they've been doing. I want to turn the conversation a little bit because these are fun talks, right? I mean, these are are all teams that we think have have done good things and 
you know, made the right moves from a process standpoint. All that said, it might not matter because let's not forget the starting point of where, say, the Kansas City Chiefs are or the Green Bay Packers with Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes on their respective rosters. It looks on the surface like an uncomfortable offseason maybe for the Chiefs, a little bit of turnover, maybe a step back to take two steps forward later for the, for the Packers. It's tough to see how their offense is going to be better without Devontae Adams and with, you know, uh, you know, multiple additions at wide receiver. But the Packers and the Chiefs are still probably going to be competing for the number one seed. So um, certainly the draft doesn't matter as far as instant impact for this year. I mean, it's not like unless you do get unless you hit on those draft picks, having say a, if you if, having say a bad draft isn't going to crush you for the season necessarily. Um, so the Packers and Chiefs, I think, are going to be the other real fascinating stories this year, right? Losing some stars, not winning the offseason, not doing anything fun and shiny and crazy, but maybe the Packers did get better through the draft defensively. Maybe the Chiefs' strategy of spreading the wealth on offense is going to pay, pay dividends both short and long-term for that offense. What are your thoughts on the Chiefs and the Packers? Because they're not going to be in our win-the-offseason discussion, but they're still just as good as they were last year pretty much but the not making the shiny moves might keep them from a championship and then that's where maybe the difference is i mean so the chiefs i think did a decent job of um taking the resources that they didn't want to give to tyreek hill and allocating them elsewhere they bring in marquez valdez scantling who at least brings you the deep speed you know he's obviously not tyreek hill he doesn't have close to the breadth of skills that Tyreek Hill does, but he can scare teams deep. And that's an important thing to have in an offense that they probably wouldn't have had outside of that. Like, Miko Hardman is a different type of speed. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster obviously isn't that guy. That would have been a missing skill set if they had let Tyreek Hill walk and hadn't replaced it with anything. So to bring in Valdez-Scantling is good. Bringing in Sky Moore in the second round I think is a freaking steal. And, like, he should be an important part of that offense Juju Smith-Schuster should be a better player for them than he was in Pittsburgh with the declining force of Ben Roethlisberger trying to get him the ball. And then, critically, that offensive line should be amongst the best in the NFL again. Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, Lucas Niang. Like, Lucas Niang is the weakest link in that group, and he could easily be an average starter, and he's probably going to have competition behind him in terms of, you know, Gary and Kennard, guys they've drafted, like... Their offensive line should be one of the best in the NFL, protecting Patrick Mahomes. Again, though. There's only so much. You, you can only be so bad when that's the case. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, I mean, the Chiefs' offensive line got better last year. It may have been the best offensive line they've ever had. Yeah. And with they Patrick were Mahomes. a contender last year. Yeah. But they got worse offensively, too. They yeah. They got worse well, offensively with the right. best offensive line they've had. But they then improved the defense fairly dramatically. Like George sure. Karloftis, Trent McDuffie, they've added some serious players to this group. Um, so the defense, I think, should be significantly better. The offense has done a pretty good job of, I suspect, taking a lateral step rather than taking a big step backwards despite trading away Tyreek Hill. Um, the Packers, though, I think are probably significantly worse, even if they got better on defense. They traded away their star receiver, and their patching up of that has been Christian Watson in the second round, um, Romeo Dubs, where they get him the fourth. Um, and then the sort of aged veterans that haven't really been getting it done. Sammy Watkins, uh, Alan Lazard, who was 
fine, but wasn't good enough when Devontae Adams was there, Randall Cobb. Like, this is not a good receiving core. It wasn't a good receiving core even when Devontae Adams was there, and he's the best wide receiver in the NFL. Without Devontae Adams, it's hard to look at this group and say, oh, they'll definitely be amazing, particularly when their offensive line should be fine, but it's not, I don't think, as good as Kansas City's. So the Chiefs can at least look at theirs and say, we'll have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL and Patrick Mahomes and a you know reasonable group of wide receivers. We should be more than fine. The Packers are looking at it and saying, okay, we've got Aaron Rodgers. We have an offensive line that's got some good players but has got some weak areas. We've got a wide receiver group that doesn't have an awful lot at all. I just think they're working way further behind the eight ball than the Chiefs are. And even if they did improve the defense in terms of, um, you know, the draft with Devontae Wyatt, et cetera. I, it's, Quay it's, Walker. Yes. It's hard to look at that group and say they did anything other than take a pretty big step backwards. And, and even all that said, they're still going to be right there in the mix, just like the Chiefs are. It's going to be a bounce here, a bounce there. You know, I mean, that's that's still the reality, I think, that they're going to be right there. My, my question with, with Aaron Rodgers now, the back-to-back MVP seasons, look, even if the offense got stalled in the playoffs last year, that's not – just because they scored 10 points against the 49ers in the playoffs, that's not a reason to, be, to believe, like, well, you know, they weren't going to win the Super Bowl if they just rolled back the same offense again. I mean, sure they could have. You know I mean? They, yeah. But they ha- I think they've gotten worse offensively. It's really tough. Um, it's really tough when you get to the, the gap between, you know, bad and passable is an easy one to understand, right? If you suck, you need to make some significant moves and you get back to average. And then you get... When you're a team that's average, you can see a pathway to being good. But what's difficult to square is when you're a really good team and you're already a contender, how many like how many losses in the playoffs actually mean something more than simply you ran up against another really good team? Like when you go back to those team, like the 49ers and the Cowboys, right, back in the 80s and 90s, when when – the 49ers team was running up against an elite Cowboys team in the NFC Championship and losing. Was that a fundamental problem with what the 49ers were doing, or did, were they simply running into another dynastic quality team at the same time? And if, there's only so many wins that can go around, right? Um, taking it back to rugby for a moment, right? Yeah, do it, please. Leinster in the uh, Heineken Cup semifinal this this upcoming week. Heineken Cup semifinal, yeah. Leinster keep crapping out in the semifinals, right? And if you listen to the narrative on that, it's like, well, they've, they've, found their, like, they've got a level. They need to find the next step. They need to get beyond it. Like, okay, but isn't it just a case of like every year there's like four good teams in Europe, and once you get to the semifinals, they're all there. So if you don't win that game, it doesn't mean that you suck. It just means that like you ran into one of the other elite teams in Europe, and eventually like, everybody except one team has to lose, right? Only one team is winning the championship at the end of it. Only one team is winning the Super Bowl. So if you lose in the AFC or the NFC championship game a couple of times in a row, does that mean like you're, you've hit a level and you need to find something to catapult you over the top and make that Super Bowl? Or does it just mean you're actually doing the right thing, you've just lost two or three times in a row? That, I think, is the question that like Green Bay and Kansas City are going to be asking themselves. How many losses in like the title game, the NFC or the AFC title game, is actually representative of a fundamental problem or a ceiling that the team has that's a step below the Super Bowl. 
and how many and like and how much of it is actually this should be seen as an indication that we're doing exactly the right thing because we're in this game every year and eventually I think we're going to win one of these games and then we've we've done the job I mean if you're if that's my point with the Chiefs all the time right like when the Chiefs won their first Super Bowl we did it we overreacted all right this is I mean this team looks unstoppable Patrick Mahomes how many Super Bowls over under six yeah right okay now and that's why I've always compared the Chiefs to the Patriots. If, if the Chiefs, it, and let's just say the Packers, right? And isn't teams, that like that sort of emblematic of the Patriots, right? Is that they were essentially, let's just put ourselves in the AFC title game every year. And we're going to win some of those. We're going to lose some of those. But, like, that's, the, that's what we're shooting for. Right. Because, like, a couple, if they lose, you know, two or three of those in a row, it's not, and this was the narrative, like, oh, maybe they're cooked. Maybe the Patriots and Belichick and Brady, maybe it's done. Yeah. You know, maybe they're not going to win another Super Bowl. Maybe they've hit their level now, and it's not where it used to be. It's not where the 07 Patriots were, right? But ultimately, they just kept going. And as long as we keep putting ourselves in the AFC title game every year, we're going to win some of those games, and then we're going to win more championships. It, it, well, the point that I would make there, though, is that they had a better chance of winning when they, you know, when they were strong on the perimeter, at receiver, uh, when they did make moves at corner and, and had Darrell Rivas, say, in 2014, or eventually when they got Stephon Gilmore. Um, and then every now and again, you run into the 2018 Patriots where Brady takes a bit of a step back. They've got Cordero Patterson and uh, Philip Dorsett as their outside receivers. They had an aging Gronk, and they win it. You know, they win the Super Bowl. Like, that's if the Packers win this year, that's what it'll feel like, right? It's like you had a better team last year. The Patriots in 2017 had a better team than they did in 2018. Overall, flashier team, better overall team, more consistent team. But they lost in 2017, they won in 18. If the Packers win this year, that's what it'll feel like. It's not, it's not impossible. It's probably just a little bit less likely than it was. I would say the same thing with the Chiefs, right? The Chiefs had, even though the offense wasn't great last year, what the, the potential that they had on the field with Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, we, we've seen what they've done in the past. I don't think they'll be as good this year, they could, but they still could find a way to play better and actually win the thing. I mean, I think Kansas City might be every bit as good this year as they, they were. Could like, be, I think they could be, just because they, weren't, they really weren't great for a lot of the yeah. season last year. I'm sorry. I think they've done a good job of sort of maintaining that level, of doing exactly what we just talked about, of let's just put ourselves in the AFC Championship every year or as close to that as we can get. Kansas City, I think, has done a reasonable job of this offseason – They've probably tread water, maybe taken a lateral step. They're, they're pretty much where they were. Now, the rest of the AFC appears to have gotten better. So by comparison, maybe they've taken a step back. But they should be an absolute contender for the AFC championship this year. Green Bay, though, it, I wonder if they have fallen into that trap of saying, well, we've, we've, we've reached this level. We keep losing in the, in the NFC championship game. We keep losing in the playoffs. We need to overhaul it. We need to do something dramatically different because it's not working. Um, they also, I think, have been the victim of circumstance in that, like, well, sort of. The Devontae Adams thing is, is it's different from the other wide receiver deals. Kansas City just looked at Tyreek Hill and said, we don't want to pay you $30 million a year, so we're going to trade you away. Bye-bye. Green Bay spent so long trying to get Devontae Adams under contract whilst the Aaron Rodgers thing was percolating in the background as well and, you know, the DeAndre Hopkins contract screwing everybody up that they basically spent so long jerking him around that when they finally decided, okay, fine, we'll pay it to you. He was like, no, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm so pissed off with how these negotiations are going. I'm going to my college quarterback, Derek Carr, over there, 
and I'm going to play for them instead. So you can look at this on the one hand and say, well, Green Bay didn't want to lose Devontae Adams. They were willing to pay him the same contract that the Raiders were willing to pay him. And then the other way of looking at it is, yeah, but only after they jerked him around so much that he got sick of it and wanted out. So <laughs> it doesn't necessarily indicate that Green Bay wants to go in a dramatically different direction than they had in previous seasons. On the other hand, they put themselves in that position where they might have to. That's why I'm saying I think it's, it's the story of the NFL this year. Uh, elite quarterbacks, elite receivers, the impact – we always talk about if you don't have the elite quarterback, stock up at playmaker. Can you really do that, right? I mean, let's let's see what happens here. So um, we'll have plenty to talk about this offseason as far as uh, all of these moves. Who Have you got anybody else that deserves a mention? Because I think there's a couple more teams that we can at least nod to. The Bucks. The Bucks. I mean, Tom Brady was going to retire. Did retire. He did retire for 30 days, yes. 40 days. In the, in the wilderness, and then comes back, and all of a sudden, you go from like, "What are you going to do in Tampa Bay for the next few years?" And now, well, yeah, once he couldn't buy the Dolphins, <laughs> yeah. he came back. He made a failed purchase. Yeah, I mean, Jesus wouldn't fail a purchase. So can we stop the comps there? True. Thanks. Or Moses, neither one. So the Bucks had a good off season because they didn't completely get the band back together, but it's pretty close. And the, uh, you know. I mean, simply, there is Brady. Yeah, simply avoiding not having a non-Brady quarterback is a win for Tampa Bay. You know, there was a period yeah. of time where we were like, no, let's talk up um, Kyle Trask. Yeah, <laughs> Not having to do that as we head into the season, I think, is a win for Tampa Bay. So, yeah, I could see Tampa Bay in that, uh, in that bucket. Who else did I want to mention? I want to mention the Giants. So the Giants, I think, won – simply by the people they hired, you know? Yeah. The, the old regime out, you bring in Joe Shane and Brian Dayball, I think is a huge win for that team in terms of the people you've hired. Didn't have the flexibility to do a ton in free agency, tinkered around the edges, fine, that's about all you could do. Had a pretty good draft at the fir- in the first round, which is the most important round for them. Went off the rails a little bit as it went down. And then we get to see what Brian Dayball can do with Daniel Jones this year. So I think the Giants had a good offseason just in terms of hiring the right people. Um, I think the Jets had a great offseason. They they did a good job in free agency and the draft. So love what they did. Um, Who else was I going to focus on here? I had another team that I wanted to mention. No, you're not a Wentz guy. Not the football team. The Colts didn't didn't do a bad job given they decided to drop kick Carson Wentz out of the building. Uh, Agree with the Colts. Texans? Yes, Texans. So the Texans finally get they get rid of Deshaun Watson. It's finally done. They get to start that deal despite the lawsuits and everything hanging over him. Nick Casario did, in fact, get the draft haul that he was holding out for the whole way. And like it would be pretty easy to paint a picture where that entire thing went to hell, right? Yeah. Like, how do you possibly expect to trade – three first-round picks for a dude with 22 lawsuits hanging over his head. That seemed insane, right? They were have, like Deshaun Watson sat on the bench all last year despite being active, essentially. They wasn't on an exempt list. There wasn't a reason they couldn't have been playing him. They just voluntarily decided to park him because of everything that was going on, holding out for this giant trade that seemed farcical at one point. So Nick Cazario ends up getting the haul. They get rid of Deshaun Watson, and now they can start this rebuild process. So... Honestly, they're winners simply by achieving that. 
getting that trade haul for Deshaun Watson, giving everything hanging over him right now, is frankly pretty miraculous. Yeah, I, I agree on the Texans. Um, definitely the Jets. You know, I think they yeah. they moved in the right direction. I think the Jaguars will be interesting because we didn't. Lo- we definitely overpaid for a bunch of free agents, but they'll be better. Yeah. And a lot of what you're saying now with these teams, it's not so much for this year, but it's at least setting the pieces in place for the next year. Unfortunately, I do think there's going to be it's going to be a top heavy NFL this year. But it's so it feels top. But the top is so big. Like it will be, but we're, I mean, when we when we did a post free agency roundup and we were like power ranking the AFC, like you were like twelve teams deep and they were still good. Like there's going to be good AFC teams that don't make the playoffs. No, I get it. I know. But last year, I, th- I think it's more just on a week to week basis. Like when the Giants play one of those AFC teams, or even the Jets. I mean, the, we thought the Jets moved all in the right direction. Are they going to be within a touchdown? As far as pregame spread goes, like are they going to be within a touchdown of the Browns or the Ravens or it, or the Broncos or the Chiefs or any of them? I mean, the Jets and the Dolphins are there in that bucket where I think they might have gotten a lot better and they might still have they might still be a mile away from the best teams in the AFC. I think what you're going to yeah. see it's not so much top heavy; it's almost been it's almost been polarized. You've almost become you're either an elite team. Or you stink. Like, we're going to see these. I mean, you talked about it before. Last year felt like there was more double-digit point spreads than we've ever seen before. Like, you go in, it's like, oh, this is a 14-point spread, this game. It's just, it's an automatic ass-kicking for one team. I think you're going to see half the games this year. They're either great games between two really good teams, or it's like good team versus bad team. We're going to see a a two-touchdown spread. And I think why that is, is now Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson have both quarterbacked losing teams in their last respective seasons right but they were on not so good rosters now they've been placed on good rosters right I mean that I think that's a big part of it right is that the deployment of top quarterbacks is now surrounded by good rosters rather than hey you know Deshaun Watson's trying to elevate this Texans team or Russell Wilson's trying to elevate this Seattle Seahawks team now they've been placed in in good situations Um, I wouldn't put the Dolphins and the Jets in the same bucket though I would love to see the Jets take a huge step forward, though. Like, Zach Wilson, that's the other part, too. We've seen so many quarterbacks make that big year-two jump. Will Zach Wilson, will Trevor Lawrence, will Justin Fields, even in a lesser situation in Chicago, you know, will those guys take a huge year-two jump? Maybe not to the MVP candidacy that, you know, a Joe Burrow or a Kyler Murray or um, Carson Wentz had, Lamar Jackson, but... If those guys become top 15 quarterbacks, the Jags and the Jets or the Bears or the Niners or whoever with the Trey Lance, all of those teams will look completely different as well. Sure. So it's May. It is May. We have a lot of time to discuss it. Um, some programming notes coming up. We've got some vacations planned, mm. you know, because it's the off-season, off-season here. Off-season, off-season. So I'm going to likely miss the next two shows here, assuming we continue with our vacation to Florida. Okay. Which would, it's the plan right now. Um, so you got some. So you have some guests coming on, and then you're going cross country, and I'm going to have all sorts of special guests. Yeah. So we have the doctor Eric Eager is going to come on Thursday's show, and then always Austin, nice to let the little people have a shot here on the big show, right? And then Austin Gale is going to be on next Monday's show. So email us questions, topics that you would like to hear us dive into with the doctor and with Austin Gale. Um, NFL podcasts at pff.com. Fire in any kind of suggestions. It's there on the screen. YouTube. Um, any suggestions that we can 
fill a show with for Austin and for Eric, two different shows. Uh, yeah, like, so sketching out that full road trip thing, almost complete. I need somewhere to stop uh, between New Orleans and Orlando. So somewhere in the Florida panhandle that isn't hell. Mobile, Alabama. Uh-huh. Stop in Mobile. So anybody that has suggestions about, you know, a cool place to stop that isn't, you know, a spring break party town hell type of place. You and your dad don't want to throw in some suggestions. Don't want to spring break it. Doesn't feel like the, you know, not at the end of a trip like that. Uh, so between New Orleans and Orlando. Yeah. Somewhere along the panhandle there. Like there's a bunch of places that are just generally beach towns that look nice, but I have no idea what's like, you know. Daytona? Is Daytona down there? Uh, I'm not familiar with the geography down there, but I know our listeners are. Somebody's going to give you a good suggestion. Now, based off the previous suggestions, you might have a listener be like, have you been to, uh, have you been to Michigan in the summer? Can you stop by Michigan really quick? Yeah, well, that's why I gave a very specific. Very you know, specific. New Orleans to Orlando. Don't suggest anything in like the Great Lakes region. You know, Cape Cod, currently, probably not going to fit. Currently, there. as a placeholder, St. George Island Park is there, or St. George Island is where... We're currently staying. Drive up to the Cape. The drive Cape? up to the Cape yeah. real quick. That's quite a detour. Yeah. Yeah. Up to the Cape, back down to Orlando. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just more driving time. That's what you're looking for, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that'll be happening uh, in a couple of weeks' time. We're going to be raising money for charity for uh, Ad- Advent Health is who we're doing it with. We are raising money to raise awareness for men's health and for cancer charity and that kind of thing. Um will be a place we can direct people to donate and we'll also be doing a bunch of content on the road which will be you and your dad yes awesome yeah yeah that's great yeah we'll uh he's got we'll, like gopros and all sorts of gimbals and all kinds of crap so oh, this is serious here. yeah 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 your dad does your dad's more famous than you are within the yeah within the medical profession yeah <laughs> he's not i mean not in the nfl no. not in the nfl world but you know it's a big name medical mm. profession so anyway that's it. Anything else? No. I we missed right. like 15 teams that all had great off-seasons. If we didn't mention your team, we meant to. They had a great off-season, too. Maybe they didn't. We're all optimistic. The no, Lions, everybody had. The Lions had a good off-season. I, I figured you might mention the Lions. Again, not necessarily for like this season, maybe, but. Yeah. No, they the had future. a good off-season. There were teams that didn't, though. You know? There were That's teams, for a different show. There were teams that really didn't have a good off-season. Last year, you're uh, – the biggest show that we did last year was when you gave the fatal flaws for all 32 yeah, teams with like Austin. That. Are you bringing that back People with like Austin? the negativity. Yeah. Maybe. I tried to bring the positivity. People didn't like that as much. And you came back with the fatal flaws. Yeah. Thing cooked. Right. It's cooking. Best show of the offseason last People year. People whinge back the negativity, but that's what everyone wants to hear. Yeah. Except when, you know, except when some people bring it to the table. When it's all you bring to the table. It's too negative. You know what I'm saying? Can't be too negative all the time. Okay. All right, guys. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again on Thursday, or at least Sam will.